It's so good to be with you. Um, we are in the same series called Empowering Presence. Um, I wanted to share a little bit of why we're doing this series and what I hope today might help and what next week and this whole week will be for you. It, my vision of doing this series was to really lay a foundation of the theology of the Holy Spirit and practice of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this particular talk on healing, my hope, or actually the whole series really, one of my goals for our community was really to create um, an environment where there'd be biblical instruction and teaching, but also I wanted to catalyze, release, and empower, and activate the gifts that are in the church, because right here is unlimited potential. And what, what happens is the model we have is really unhelpful for like 95% of us. Um, where all of us are called to ministry, whether we, we go, we get a paycheck from the church or not. And we are all part of a body and we're, I need, we just need to raise the expectation of what that means to be church. And so my hope was to in, inspire the gifts that are here that are sitting, gifts of teaching, gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, um, the gifts that you possess of evangelism, of compassion, of giving, of leadership, all of that. So as we've moved into this series now on gifts, last week you guys had John Mark, who did a marathon teaching on uh, tongues, I heard. And he's, at, he's actually at our church right now doing the same talk. I said, you got to do 40 minutes, no longer. Um, <laughs> we're going to pull you off stage. Uh, <clears throat> but today we're going to talk about healing. Um, and and this, is, this is something I'm really passionate about. Um, and I know it's going to come with all sorts of baggage. But I want to, let me just say one more, other, one more thing before I jump in. And then I'm going to pray and we'll dive in, okay? Um, Reality Church, you guys have been entrusted with so much. You share, um, you have the favor of the Lord upon you. As, not as a brand, not as an institution, but as the people of God. Um, I'm fruit of your ministry. I, in 2002, I had left the faith and I was, I was at a school called UC Santa Barbara where I was handed a cheeseburger by this ministry called Jesus Burgers in Isla Vista. <laughs> And I rededicated my life to Jesus through Isla Vista Church and then started going to this little ministry at Calvary Chapel called Reality on Friday nights. And he, I'm here because of, the, of your faithfulness as a family of churches. So I want to say thank you for your faithfulness as a church. So let me pray. Lord, I pray right now that you would, um, through your word, uh, plant seeds of ministry in all of us that would bear fruit. I, I pray that like Jesus prayed and spoke about your kingdom being planted in good soil, that today we would be good soil. And I pray that you would give us faith to move in power through the power of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit come, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 12. I'm gonna do um, kind of a biblical framework for healing. We're gonna start with some early church leaders about their expectations of church. We're going to talk about why healing doesn't happen so much today. We're going to talk about the ministry of Jesus and then we're going to look at a story in Acts and then land very, very practically on how we can pray for healing uh, for one another and then we're actually going to pray together. So I'm going to put you to work, okay? I hope you are excited as much as I am. I think you're ready. But 1 Corinthians 12, let's read this together. Verse 7. I think this, the words are going to be behind me. It says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts being given to a local church. Its purposes are for the common good of the community. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them uh, to each one as, just as he determines. 1 Corinthians 12 is a letter to a church that's dealing with conflict in the abuse of spiritual gifts. Um, and their perspective on what was important and what, what wasn't. But Paul here gives us a list. And he does it again later on in 1 Corinthians. He also does it in Ephesians. And he does it in Romans. And they're different lists. 
So when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're not talking about personality traits. We're not talking about fruit. We're talking about supernatural gifts from the Holy Spirit for the local church. And there's not necessarily a comprehensive gift uh, list, excuse me. Paul does not want you to assume or connect these to personality traits. These are supernatural impartations. And we're specifically speaking on gifts of healing. It's the only gift that's plural. One author says this, this is the only gift that is gifts. Thus, one who receives such gifts does not directly perform the healings. Rather, he simply transmits the gifts. He's like the delivery boy who brings the gifts to others. Let me just say that to help us understand what the, the gifts are. Because I don't know what background you come from in the church, but I feel like there's a lot of confusion about this. Like you can go online and Google and do like a, a test to figure out what, what spiritual gifts you have. And that's just so not biblical in any way. And <laughs> it doesn't work like that. But I, what you do see is that there are gifts given. And, and our job as a church is to honor the gifts that God gives us. Um, and they're, they're not for you. So like if you're like, oh, I'm, uh, you know, I've received the gift of prophecy. Great. That has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with giving that gift away to people who need the prophetic gift in their life. Gifts of healings, plural. So the image you should have is like a UPS person. It's not your package. It's you've been trusted to give it. You don't watch them open it. You don't celebrate that you did anything other than do your job, which is to give it away. So the moment we make it about us, we're already off. Right? Okay, that's just a side note. That's not in the notes. So <laughs> freebie for you guys. The Apostle Paul carries some some basic expectations for the local church. Supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit are a natural part of ordinary church life. Just think about that for a moment. Let's look at James. It's not just Paul who thinks this, but there's also another church leader in the first century. James in chapter 5, probably the most familiar when it comes to healing passages. Because most of us, most of churches that actually will pray for healing use this as the model rather than Jesus. And I understand why. But check it out. Uh, James chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So here's another passage written by an early church leader, um, an apostle, James. I just want you, I want you to see this. I want you to see in the scripture, James carries expectations of church life. James expects healing to take place within the local church. There should be prayer, there should be praise, and there should be healing for the sick in our local churches, according to James. We have a right, as R.T. Kendall says, if not a mandate, to pray for the sick. I believe there's a real sense in which we are called to pray for the sick. God can cure cancer as easily as he can heal a cold. And I guess the question I have for you is, do you, uh, do you carry expectation, biblical expectations of church life or cultural expectations of church life? And I just want you to examine your own life. For those of us that are part of this church, are you bringing in here today the expectation that is accept and expected by Scripture or the expectations that you've carried by culture? Like at my church, the way we talk about it is, are we, are we doing what the Bible commands as the local church or are we doing what cultural Christianity expects? Because people don't complain when we're not sharing each other's burdens. People aren't complaining when they, they, like people don't ask me, Darren, what's your strategy for helping me die to myself to love others? They write me critical emails when we run out of coffee. Right? Or when the kids ministry is not like that other church down the street because we don't have our own building. When there's not enough parking, people are, people are complaining about that or the sermon went a little too long. There weren't enough jokes or there's too much Bible. Or there wasn't enough. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the expectations. I know the staff gets it. 
But I wonder if as a church, we're actually carrying the biblical expectations for what it means for us to be church. To do our part. Now, I don't know what background you come from. I don't know what you, what you have experienced in the church. Let me just give you some perspective. So I don't know where you come from, whether you come from a church background or not. But maybe you were like me or you are like me in that my past, I actually came from a church tradition that taught the spiritual gifts are, are not available today. I came from a cessationist tradition, which if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Essentially, it's a non-biblical view of the Bible, which... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say it so we can deal with it later. But it's the idea that, oh, the, when the apostles died, the power of the Spirit died off with them. Which is not true in any way. You can't base a, a biblical or historical view of the church and carry a cessationist view. But that's what I grew up in, the, worshiping the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Okay, so some of us, and I know I'm not making fun of it, some of us have been there are here, and you found this amazing church that's now talking about the Spirit. Amazing. Stay with me, okay? So that's one perspective. The second perspective that I carried as I grew in my theology, thanks to reality and thanks to Rock Harbor Church when I became a, a student of theology at Vanguard University, I realized that actually um, the gifts are for today. That the Spirit is alive and well. But I was never a part of a community of faith that practiced the gifts of this Holy Spirit. So my perspective was, yes, God does these things today, but they're super extraordinary. They're very unusual. And when they happen, it's absolutely miraculous. And where it's happening most is in third world context where they need it. Anyone else have this? It's like this weird view that we carry about, uh, which I'll tell you why we have that in a little bit. Um, and, and so, the, yes, healing can happen today, but, but the other thing that I carried with this perspective was like actually suffering. And this is, listen to me real quick. Why would we pray for healing? This is a perspective that I carried. When suffering is like the, God's primary way of t uh, helping us become like Jesus. Right? So, which, by the way, there's some truth to that. There's truth to God using everything in your life for good, even suffering. And that we just got to make sure we have our theology right because we're not talking about healing as it, we're not talking about healing in circles in some streams of Christianity that abuse it. We're talking about actually we live in the now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God coming. Have you guys talked about that? Dave, I don't know where you went, but I think Ruth, Ruthie did that. Yeah? You guys can give me feedback. Yes? No? Okay. Um, all six of us know what I'm talking about. So... <laughs> And, I, and you in the back, I see you. Um, so, so I carry this view that uh, why should we pray? It's, it's God's will that we become more like Jesus. So suffering's the process. So healing happens, but it's rare. Um, then some of you also, like me, might carry some theological baggage. There's, when, when we talk about healing in most evangelical circles, there's a sense of fear and nervousness around it. There's because of certain streams that have said healing will always come if you have enough faith, right? And it's like a name it and claim it. It's, I learned it through TBN um, growing up, and I don't mean to name it. I'm not speaking against it. I'm just saying I learned of unhelpful ways of being naturally supernatural. And I want to, that's not a biblical model either for us. So I'm just giving you, clearing the ground. So what I want to introduce today is my understanding of a biblical perspective of the ministry of healing. And it's simply this, that the ministry of healing is ordinary and normative. And is to be expected as apprentices of Jesus here and now. But it doesn't always take place. Is that helpful? So... I want to teach now how we move forward in practicing ministry of healing. I'm going to give you some, some framework. So I, I want to start with some theological foundations. I don't have time to go through this in detail. So you can either not trust me or, and look it up on your own or trust me as I say these next two statements. So some theological foundations. Number one, to be a disciple of Jesus means you are learning to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. So number one, that a theological framework for apprenticeship to Jesus, our friend John Mark has done a great job of practicing the way of Jesus. He's reframed this for us. But what we see in the scriptures is that Jesus called disciples, and disciples were people, individuals that wanted to be with the rabbi, become like the rabbi, and continue to do what the rabbi did. You guys with me? 
So as followers of Jesus, we don't come to church to sit. We're actually following Jesus with our whole life to learn how to be with him through spiritual disciplines, how to become like him in character and conduct and thinking, but also to continue his life, ministry, and mission on earth as it is in heaven in our everyday ordinary life. Are you guys okay with that? Okay, great. So the second conviction then is also very biblical. And what you see is in the Gospels, the Gospel writers make it very clear that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And we can't just say, why, how did Jesus do what he did? Oh, he was God. What the scriptures teach us is this theological viewpoint that I want to give you. That Jesus did what he did in the Gospels through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then it goes on and it shows us that the apostles did what, the, what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. The early church, we know that it wasn't just the apostles, the 12, or just the 70. The early church did the things that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, what the scriptures teach us today is we can do the things that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we good? Okay. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 4. So the question that I have as apprentices of Jesus who's recognizing there's a biblical expectation for what the local church is empowered to do today, knowing that we are apprentices and that we can do the same things that Jesus did through the same power, through his presence, the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus do in the Gospels? Let me just give you a refresher. Matthew 4 gives us a summary of the ministry of Jesus in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So here's a summary statement from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus went around proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing people and casting out demons. If we were to summarize the ministry of Jesus, what he did in the Gospels, according to Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, Jesus did three things primarily. He preached the kingdom, he healed the sick, and he delivered people from evil spirits. This was primarily, according to the Gospel writers, the ministry of Jesus. If you look at The gospel of Mark, it's only two. Preach the kingdom and deliver people from evil spirits. If you read John's gospel, which you guys have done a series on, the primary ministry of Jesus was preaching eternal life, which was um, John's version of the kingdom of God to non-Jewish people and defeating the works of the devil. According to his epistle later on, John summarizes that work, that he came to give abundant life. And so we see that if you were to combine the ministry of Jesus to three things, it's preaching the kingdom of God, God's reality being established on earth as it is in heaven, his way of life, the way it was designed to be in Genesis 1 and 2, he says is available here now for everyone. You can reach out and touch it. And then he demonstrates it through healing and liberation of people. 20% of Luke's gospel are stories of healing. More than preaching, there's healing. Jesus spends more time healing and casting out demons than preaching. N.T. Wright says this. He says, when Jesus healed people, he intended it to be clear that this wasn't a foretaste of a future reality. This was reality itself. That was, uh, this was what it looked like when God was in charge. God's kingdom was coming as he taught his followers to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Healing is one of the primary markers of the kingdom of God breaking in. And I guess the question then is, if healing was such a large part of Jesus' ministry, what Jesus did, why don't we see or expect this within the ministry of the church today? Why don't we carry this expectation? Now, there are lots of reasons, but I want to give you three, in my opinion, right now, based on my 10 years limited ministry experience that I've seen in the church. Number one is secularism. And it's our Western worldview that has influenced us more than the scriptures. Secularism is that system of thought that denies the existence or significance of anything religious. It's all material. So anything outside of material doesn't exist. This is what secularism has produced in Western context. Gordon Fee says, only among intellectuals and in a scientific age is it thought to be too hard for God to heal the sick. 
David Hume, 18th century philosopher, says a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. And to summarize, I believe what's taken place in the church is what Charles Kraft kind of highlights in one of his books on healing. He says, it is interesting and discouraging to note that even though we are Christians, our basic assumptions are usually more like those of non-Christian Westerners around us than we would like to admit. Even though there is a wide discrepancy between the teachings of Scripture and the common Western assumptions, we often find ourselves more Western than scriptural. Western societies pass through the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, and a wide variety of ripples and spinoffs from these movements. The result, God and the church were dethroned and the human mind came to be seen as Savior. That we know we're swimming in a culture that challenges this very teaching that I'm bringing to you today. That the, our expectation is that it doesn't happen and therefore we, we swim along with culture never anticipating or expecting in many ways our prayers to be answered. Secularism has influenced the church and as Mark Sayers would say, we need to de-secularize ourselves, de-secularize our lives and live from a place of authenticity with, this, with the text. The second is cultural Christianity. In my opinion, this is the most subversive and the, big, the biggest problem we have today in Western context. It's cultural Christianity, or I would like to say trying to fit in, which is disguising lukewarm faith. That most of us carry this, I need to be cool, <laughs> whether we'd like to admit it, and not be weird, in the world, which is really masking a lukewarm faith to Jesus. You see, I think this is the real threat to seeing the things that Jesus wants to see in the church. The threat is a cultural Christianity where we've made Jesus in our own image. We've made Jesus to be convenient to follow, safe and fun for the whole family. We've built it this whole movement around convenience, consumer needs, and we've reduced Jesus to an accessory or an addition or at the very least a weekly activity. He's like a subscription service that we can sign up for off and on depending on our mood in the moment. Rather than the Lord or King of Kings that reconstructs every aspect of our life, we just make him out to be whatever we need him to be in the moment. Therefore, the idea of obedience is off the table. Purity is off the table. We overindulge, we overentertain, we just follow along with the stream of culture all the while thinking we're doing the things that Jesus invited us to do only to see that it's the church that has missed the Messiah. How are we doing? Let me just read one more and then we'll go to the next one. So I don't want to make it too uncomfortable for you today. But I guess you guys have these rugs for repentance or something, because maybe <laughs> we need to repent. This is a really light uh, quote from Eugene Peterson. The cultivation of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of a sacrificial deny-yourself self-congregation. Listen to this. A consumer church is an antichrist church. You want me to say that one more time? A, a consumer church is an antichrist church. We can't gather a God-fearing, God-worshipping congregation by cultivating a consumer-pleasing, commodity-oriented congregation. When we do, the wheels start falling off, and the wheels are falling off the wagon. We can't suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. I'm just trying to clear, this, clear the way, make the path straight for what Jesus wants to do in your church. The third thing I think is obvious, it's the lack of real discipleship in the church today. Nobody ever taught me to pray for the sick until I became a pastor and had a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit in London when I was 22. Nobody told me or showed me that actually I can operate in the things of the Spirit as I go on my everyday ordinary life to, to a normal job when I go to a coffee shop or when I'm waiting in line at a restaurant to pay my bill. Nobody told me, nobody expected me to use and operate the, the things of the Spirit in those places. 
Discipleship was a program at a church where I just memorized scripture and talked about my sin. It wasn't this expectation of kingdom life to expand me and release me with the heavenly resources as I went into my workplace, as I went to the parks, as I walk my kids and play with my kids at the park, as I begin to recognize that God's world is big and beautiful and his love is so great that he wants me to extend my, his love everywhere I go. Discipleship has been reduced to come and see entertainment, read some scripture, listen to a podcast and buy the new worship album. How are we doing? Do we carry ex Jesus' expectations of reality or cultural, Christian cultural Christianity's expectation of reality? In Matthew chapter 10, this is what Jesus does. He calls his 12 disciples to him and then he gave them authority to do the things that he was doing, to drive out the demons and heal the sick. And then in chapter, uh, verse seven, he says to his disciples, as you go, as you go, Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. So this was the call, the commission of discipleship that we're going to be given power and authority to just do what Jesus was doing up until this point. Because up until this point in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus, guess what he did? Healed the sick. Raised the dead. Cleansed lepers. Cast out demons. He's like, you've seen it. Now go and do it. Now, Let's look at one of these stories and just make some observations about healing as we prepare to discuss. So we, we move from what Jesus did. We recognize it was he, a lot of what he did had to do with healing. And we recognize that we are more influenced by culture, by secularism, by uh, cultural Christianity, and by a lack of discipleship than biblical expectations. So what reality do we live in? We want to step now into Jesus's reality for life. Acts chapter 3, there's this beautiful story that I want to highlight and make some observations. Verse 1, it says this. This is after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended on the church. 3,000 people are saved on the first church Sunday morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. They baptized 3,000 new believers. And the very next story is this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This is a miracle. It's fascinating. Peter, full of the Spirit gets to participate in the healing ministry of Jesus, doing the thing that Jesus would have done. A couple of observations I just want to bring to you to discuss, and then we'll talk about how we can pray together. Peter and John were on their way to the temple. Now, I want you to just look at this for a moment. Almost all the stories of healing in the scriptures were somebody going on their way to something else. The miracle happens outside of the event that they were participating in. So just pay attention with me real quick because what you have to see is the content of Jesus' ministry is found in the context of his ministry. And the context for most of the ministry is on the streets, on your way to something else. That we're, if we think that the healing ministry is just gonna happen here, we're missing the whole point. This is, this is practice for the real game out of these walls. That Jesus wants to fill you with the content of his ministry in the context that his ministry saw power. It's on their way. He, they were not going to the temple to see healing. They were going to the temple to pray. And on their way, they just happened to stumble into a moment that they did the thing that Jesus would have done in the moment. Peter is used in a miraculous way, on the go. I have, I have some story I want to share. So I, I came into this, I, I, heard, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to share more of my story later this week. 
but came from a different background, radically transformed, heard, um, filled with the Holy Spirit in London when I was 22. The next day, God said, start a church in Long Beach. So I, my wife and I started a church when we were 23 and 22, moved to the city when we were 23 and 24 years old. Long Beach is the second most diverse city in the United States. Half a million people, one out of five below poverty. It's, it's a fascinating microcosm of the U.S. And as we were planting, we were trying to become a church where the gifts of the Spirit was normal. And we were doing this stuff, but we had never been a part of a church context where that was the case. So we would read the Bible. We would watch like John Wimber and Old Vineyard YouTubes and just try to do it. And so it was a lot of like trial and error. But I remember when I was, I was really convicted about this idea that it, it's not this environment that we should focus on healing. It's out there. Because it's really easy to, to convert someone when they've been healed from something. Just so you know. <laughs> this is my experience. So I was, I was dabbling in words of knowledge on the go and he, praying for the sick. And I, I, I mean, every story of success, I have a, literally a hundred of non-success. Let me just share. So I was going to London on a ministry trip and I was about to leave. And, and whenever I'm, I'm about to go somewhere, I like, I like to practice and try to get fresh stories. We tell, our staff say, when we have a staff meeting, we say, you can't tell a story older than a week. We have to expect it every week. And too many of our churches are telling stories from two years ago. This is an old story because it's a good one. So it's a couple years old. <laughs> I do have some fresh ones as well, which I'll share later. But there's this story. So this is, the, it's perfect. It was, I was about to leave. I go to the local grocery store. I walk my boy. I had one child at the time. I have two kids. And I walk my boy um, in a blue car and we go to get some groceries. And I see this woman in the aisle. And I, I, and I'm, I immediately sense, God, do you have something to share? She's pregnant. I don't, uh, she's obviously pregnant. I don't ask anymore because lots of, moments. Don't ask. Um, and I walk up and I, I have this sense and I say to this woman, I say, hey, I just have this sense. It's going to sound totally weird um, that you are afraid of becoming a mom because of the conflict or the pain that you've received from your mom. Is this true? And she's like, no, absolutely not. not. I have a great relationship with my mom. That's super weird. I'm like, that's great. And I ran. I took off running. I left my kid and my wife. They were on another aisle. I, I got to go home, babe. I'm embarrassed. So I told my wife me too. So that day, faith level, down here. Same day. I get a knock on the door. It's a UPS delivery guy with like compression bands and braces on his knees. He hands me the package and I'm like, gosh, okay. I'm like holding the door. I'm like, hey, what happened? I'm like in a hurry, like slowly going like this. Oh, he's like, he like opens up. He's like, oh, I've got so much chronic pain from being a delivery guy, UPS, and we're going into the holidays. I'm like, I'm supposed to go on disability because I can't continue my job. And I say, oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Can I pray for you real quick? This is literally what I'm doing. I say, uh, Lord Jesus, in the would you heal my brother? Amen. Close the door. <laughs> literally, that's what happened. A month goes by, I don't see him. I'm in my office, and it's, we live in the same neighborhood where, where I live next to the office, and the, the guy walks in with no braces. It's a month later. Darren! I'm like, what? Our whole office is like, what's going on? Your prayer healed me! It's like, <laughs> my prayer? This, this thing? Like, <laughs> Darren, I started going to church. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm bringing my wife to church. I'm thinking about it. Years go by. This is a few years ago. We move out of that, that neighborhood and move back in. And he sees me walking with my in-laws, which is great because they're the in-laws. And I'm with the in-laws. <laughs> deliverance ministry. And um, just kidding, just kidding. And my boys, I have two kids now. He pulls over and he says, Darren, I just need to tell you something. His name's Eddie. Your prayer changed my life. He's like, you reveal God to me. And he says, I, I, I'm a servant at my church. I, I go every Sunday. I read my Bible every day. I'm leading a prayer group at the UPS in the morning before we take off. He's like, your prayer changed. You see, this is what happens. I wanted to say something. I had this much faith. <laughs> but I was obedient. I'll tell you one more story, and then we'll keep going on this. Um, I was praying with the pastor, uh, the Isla Vista pastor of, of Jesus Burgers. Jason came down. He wanted to hear about how we were doing prayer ministry. And we went on a walk. I'm like, why don't I just show you? And so we see a girl, and I ask her if she has pain. She's got headaches. Pray for her. Headaches go away. I'm like, that's great. Headaches gone. Cool. For her, it's a big deal. I'm like, that's awesome. Let's pray for someone else. And then there's a guy <laughs> limping. I'm like, perfect. That's obvious. He's limping. Let's go after the limp. Hey, what's your name? 
Sorry, I don't mean to offend anyone. I'm just like, that's, just, like some of us see it and we should see that as like, that's the target, right? That's the bullseye. Like I think in the church, like think about it like scarecrows. Like if birds were smart, they would go after the scarecrows because the fruit is there, but they're scared away. So every time you start feeling afraid when you're on the go, oh, I, I have this sense, but you get afraid, you should see that as the bullseye that God wants to use you. Just a side note. Um, that's what, so I see this guy limping and I say, hey, what's your name? I'm Jamal. Hi, Jamal. I'm Darren. I'm praying with this pastor. Can we pray for you? Yeah, what happened? I should have asked him that. Because he gives us the diagnosis, which is daunting. He had cancer as a kid in his heel, had to get stuff removed. Extreme pain his whole life. I'm like, great. I was hoping for like a, you know, like a sprained ankle or something. That's a lot in my mind. This is how I think. Pray for him. I say, hey, how does it feel? He walks. He's like this. He's like, huh. He's like, it's feeling a little better. Okay. Um, can I pray again? Let me pray one more time. I'm going to teach you about this in a second. Jesus prays twice, so we could pray 70,000 times, right? So um, pray for him. And he, no joke, goes from limping to jumping like this. And he starts yelling, oh my goodness, Darren, you have magical powers. <laughs> I said, Jamal, I don't have magical powers. Jesus has power. And he just revealed his love for you by healing. What do you want to do? Do you want to give your life to him? He starts crying. He's like, I've been backsliding. I want to rededicate my life. Rededicated his life and started coming to our church. See, this is, the, this is what happens when you recognize that God wants to use you every day, everywhere, to everyone you meet. It's not this gathering. It's on the go. It's as you go, wherever you are matters because you're there. And you're filled with the presence of God. And it's not some half spirit. It's the full manifestation of God's presence in your life. How are we doing? So... Peter anticipated healing, reached down and picks the, guys up, the guy up. But also I want you to see that healing ministry is about the entire person. Healing ministry is about the entire person. His ankles became strong. He was physically healed. He went into the temple. Now what you need to know is that if you were in the first century and you were a paraplegic, you wouldn't be allowed into certain parts of the temple. You were excluded from fellowship and spiritual worship because of your physical condition. He gets up being born this way and for the first time goes into the temple with Peter and John. That's some relational healing. Then it says that he's walking and jumping, praising God. Do you think there's a bit of emotional healing there and maybe some spiritual healing as he's praising God? I think so. N.T. Wright puts it this way. Check this out. Justice and peace are about putting things right in the world. But from whatever angle you look at it, I'm sorry, from whatever angle you look at Jesus, he was concerned not just with outward structures, but with realities that would involve the entire person and entire community. No point on putting the world right if the people are still broken. So broken people will be healed. Paralytics, epileptics, demoniacs, people with horrible skin diseases, a servant on the point of death, an old woman with a high fever, blind men, deaf and mute men, a little girl who's technically already dead, an old woman with a persistent hemorrhage, and so on and so on. Matthew lets the list build up until we almost take it for granted. Yes, here's a person who's sick. Jesus will cure her. Okay, I'm running late on time, but I'm going to keep going. Sorry, guys. Um, I, I'm not coming back. Yeah, hold on. You don't need to applause. I'm going to keep going. The last observation about this story is so funny because we miss it. If, it's simply this. If Peter can do this, so can you. You see, we look at the story and we're like, we take out all the humanity from it. And if you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, Peter is not some remarkable character of faith. He is, if anything, the imperfect disciple. Just a quick history of him. There's so many things I could say. But in Matthew 16, there's this moment where Jesus is like, who am I? And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yes! This has been revealed to you. Blessed are you, Simon. I'm going to build my, my church on this rock. Now, if you are one of the 12 and you weren't Peter, you'd be pretty bummed if you were competitive. <laughs> but 
But what's ironic is in the same exact chapter, Matthew 16, right after this confession, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to die on a cross. And it says in Matthew 16, Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Peter rebukes Jesus saying, you're never going to die on a cross. And he goes from, blessed are you, Simon, to get behind me, Satan. <laughs> what does that say? Well, it says that as followers, we can get it sometimes and we can miss it other times. Amen. Isn't that good news? In, in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, Peter says, I'll never deny you. In that same exact chapter, three times, I never knew him. He fails Jesus, his friend, in the moment Jesus needed him the most. If Peter can do it, so can you. Peter shows us the way of Jesus involves roadblocks, doubts, mistakes, failures, missing the mark. And at some point, we're going to still be used to continue the life, ministry, and mission of Jesus here and now. You can be a serious Christian and make stake, mistakes along the way and still be used by God. Can I get an amen? amen. All to say, in my experience, if you want to practice the ministry of healing, which is for, available for all of the church, I believe all of the gifts are available for all of the church. I believe all of the ministry of Jesus is available from, for all of the church. Some of us in different times will be used in different capacities. Some of us are, are more gifted in certain things than others, but we have access to the same spirit, which is why on Friday we'll talk about the missional need of the moment, that the spirit, if, if you're just thinking I, all I have is prophecy, then you're a hammer and all you see are nails. But if the lens you have is compassion, then sometimes it will be proclaiming the gospel. Sometimes it will be prayer of healing. Sometimes it will be giving generously based on the need of the moment. And that's what we need to see is a lens of compassion like Jesus. But going back, what I've seen over and over again is God simply uses the available. God is looking for people who are available. When we talk about the ministry of healing, it's for everyone who's open to participate in continuing the ministry of Jesus. I have a friend named Joe who at the time was a Christian for less than a year. And I took him with me to India where we did a conference for 500 pastors in rural parts of poor, poor uh, delete parts of India. It's the country in Andhra Pradesh uh, where we would minister to men and women who are pastors that live on less than a dollar a day. And they had thousands and thousands and thousands of churches that they represented. In fact, I remember going to a house church with 150 people in a room and the pastor said, how many churches do you have? And I was like, uh, one. And he's like, okay. I'm like, how many do you have? He's like, oh, I got six. This size. I was like, okay, yep, way better. You're, you're killing it. Keep going. <laughs> um, I write Joe to just come with us and see it. Joe's from New Jersey. Typical New Jersey. I just, the epitome, everything you think of in that caricature of a guy. That's him, Okay. We go and start praying, and we're praying for conditions. We saw cataracts disappear. Praying for deaf people and bodies straightened and all sorts of amazing things in India. And we see that at the garden too, and we're going to see it here this week. Joe, I pray three times for this guy who's deaf in one ear. Nothing happens. I'm like, hey, Joe, will you come and pray? Joe prays one time. Guy's healed. And what happens is the guy goes like this. He yells and then he takes off running. And we're like, what happened? And the translator is like, oh, he just got healed. He's going to go tell his wife. We're like, wow, that's amazing. He can hear? And, and I remember being like, wait, time out. I prayed three times. He prayed once. It's like when my wife asked me to open the jar of tomato sauce. And then I give it back and she does it. I'm like, I loosened it up, right? So it's Joe. That's what I want to think. Joe's praying. And this is what I, what I want to share. So that night, he's texting his, his friends who are not Christian back at home. And my friend Zach sends me a screenshot because he's involved in the text thread. And he says, and I quote, he tells the story of what happened. This deaf guy hearing, can't believe it. He says, this Jesus thing is effing real. <laughs> God uses the available. <laughs> Do we have to edit that, Dave? I don't know. It's okay. Anyway, so... My friend Zach's on a plane coming back from Sacramento. There's this big old neck brace around this lady's neck. God tells him, pray for her, pray for her, pray for her. Literally to the point where he's getting off the plane, helps her with her back, doesn't pray. He's such a coward. I'm um, just kidding. He's not. He's one of my best friends. And he goes to the baggage claim. There she is. He stands next to her and he says, this is so weird, but I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. Can I pray for healing? 
prays for healing. Nothing happens. Finds out that they got her contact and she lives in Seal Beach, the same place he lives. He's driving on Main Street in Seal Beach and sees her without the neck brace. She had said she had to wear it for 14 weeks. And she doesn't have a neck brace. She's, he's, he's at a stop sign, watches her walk. He, he shouts out her name and she's like, your prayer healed me. I just want to share these ordinary stories. Ordinary stories of healing for the available. One more quick story on healing and then we'll finish up with how to pray. Um, I set out as a church to run the Long Beach Marathon with World Vision in October last month. And I've never run a marathon in my life, but I brought our whole church and we're going to run this. We're going to run a marathon. We're going to train. Yeah. And then we go, I go on a men's retreat and I tear two ligaments in my ankle. I'm very competitive too. So not very, it wasn't easy. So days go by. I'm, I was depressed. I don't know if anyone else that can't be physically active, depression sets in. That was going on seriously for me. And Easter shows up and I went to the doctor and I, before Easter, I went to the doc, I went three times before Easter and the doctor's like, this is a bad tear. You might need surgery. Eight weeks to 14 weeks in this boot, um, maybe surgery. And she's like, what's your goal? I'm like, I want to run the marathon in October. She's like, you can maybe walk a 5k in, in October. So Easter comes, I have this giant boot, I'm on crutches, and this girl in our church, the crazy lady that everyone has, some of you are them, um, <laughs> she comes up, she's like, I had a dream about you last night that you were, pre you were preaching without a boot on and God healed your ankle. Can I pray for healing? I'm like, sure, why not? You know, like <laughs> everyone else has. She prays for me, pain's still there. I preach on a stool. Um, the next morning I wake up, there's no pain. No, the coloring is bad. My foot was gross. Look at my Instagram if you want to see it. It's there. It's nasty. Completely normal color. I'm walking without my boot. I'm walking around. I go on Tuesday. That was a Monday. On Tuesday, I go to the doctor. The doctor said, she starts examining my foot, moving it. Does this hurt? Nope. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? No, nothing hurts. What did you do? I preached the gospel on Easter and I had someone pray for me. She calls her office in. She does this and she says, this is the power of the resurrection. I've received the gift of healing the way you can only receive it. And so my faith today for you is to encourage you to have faith and participate in the work that Jesus has for you today. He says greater things. And we'll talk about that on Tuesday. So review, the Holy Spirit gives supernatural gifts of healing for the local church. It's to be expected. To be a Christian is to continue to do the things that Jesus did, which a large part of what he did was healing. You can be imperfect and used for the ministry of healing, and God's looking to use the available. So if you want to begin this with me, I want to give you some practical steps along the way. Practicing the ministry of healing. Um, uh, if you want to step into the healing ministry of Jesus, you must come to believe God desires to heal the sick and desires wholeness for people. You got you to recognize God desires he desires to heal and desires wholeness for people. The second thing which we've already mentioned is you must live in the tension of the now and not yet reality of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is available here and now, but it's not always full, fully here. So we live in this tension. So this is what we have to have. We have to have a, a healthy theology of suffering. I have prayed for cancer in people that have watched cancer disappear. My dad was miraculously healed of cancer, of kidney cancer, last year. I have also prayed for cancer in people on their deathbed and watched them die, people that I loved. I've been in hospital visits where the this death is over the room and you pray with all of faith and they die. Brothers and sisters, we have to grieve and we also have to pray for healing. We have to believe in the now as we live in the not yet reality. I think most churches are in our context are living in the not yet, so I wanna encourage you to go for the now. As I preach to, the, to you today, my son, I preached this at the garden, my church on Sunday. My son on Sunday woke up with a 105 degree fever at 3 a.m. So as I preached on healing last week, my son was sick and he has asthma issues. So this last week, I have been to four doctor visits. I've been in the hospital in the ER on Wednesday with my boy. My, my, my wife is sick. Who's, my wife and kids were supposed to be with me. Both kids are sick and my wife is sick. Right now, before I got here, my, my little son, 16 month old, was at the urgent care. I'm preaching this knowing that it's true, but we also live in a broken, not yet reality. 
So let's pray in faith for the now. And some of you, you guys could pray for my family. That would be awesome. But I don't think it's, it's at all a coincidence that as I have to preach on healing, I'm dealing with the reality of sickness. And some of you are not going to experience the healing you desire. Some of you will. But we need to keep going together. Are we good with that? Third, those who are consistently effective in praying for the sick anticipate healing. Those who are consistently effective in praying for the sick have compassion for the pain in the person they pray for. Those who are consistently effective in praying for the sick are taking risks when they pray. I don't have time to elaborate, but I'll do that on Tuesday and next week. So the model of prayer we follow is Jesus is our model, which by the way, there's no formula, but here's what you need to know. Jesus never once asked for healing to come. He never asked, look at all the prayers for healing in the New Testament. Nobody asks healing to come. Jesus never waited for healing to come. He simply commanded healing to come. He didn't claim it or demand it. He operated from authority and power and commanded it. And as Ken Blue says, faith to be healed and to pray for healing can come to us just as it did for those who gathered around Jesus. As we look at Jesus, listen to this. As we look at Jesus in the New Testament and believe what we see, we find the freedom to trust him. We see in him the character of the person we can trust with our entire beings. There is never any thought that we can demand healing or claim it from him, but there is a freedom to trust him for it because it is so obviously the very thing he wants us to do. Jesus prayed short prayers. Take up your mat and walk. Listen to his prayers. Go. Come forth. Be clean. <laughs> Think about that though. That, that's your theology of who God is and what he's like and how you extend it. So here's my five-step model for prayer that I've taken from a variety of people. You ready for it? Step one, locate the sick person. <laughs> this is so good. Like seminary level healing right now. Ready? Step two, place a hand on their shoulder and nowhere else. Single guy. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Number three, say with authority in the name of Jesus be healed. Or if you want to be creative and their leg is in pain, in the name of Jesus, leg be healed. <laughs> it's a little more complex. I don't want to confuse you guys. You are from San Francisco, so I will trust you with the complexity of the prayer. <laughs> And four, this is a tricky one, ask them if it feels better. If it's something they can feel. If it's in the moment, there's physical pain. I was praying for someone with a migraine this morning and it got a little better. So I could keep praying and that's what I want to teach you. It, it, ask them if it feels better. If not, repeat steps one through four or two through four because you've already located the sick person. <laughs> so I've come from Southern California to give you those five steps. <laughs> You're welcome. So, for the sake of time, let me close with this, a quote that's helpful. Remember in all of this, in themselves they prove nothing anyway. His healing acts are expression of divine mercy to be received in faith. Faith to be healed means being open to God's love. Faith to pray for the sick means, means being open, openness to being a vessel of that love. As Thomas Smale says, Power outside the context of love and truth is precisely that to which the enemy tempted Jesus in the wilderness and to which, for example, the church in Corinth is tempted again so that it has to be reminded that charismata or the charismatic gifts exercised outside the context of love and truth are worth nothing at all. So this whole environment of praying for healing is coming from a space of love. Are you guys good with that?